Hey friend, Min Huang here of Life Giving Motherhood. I am a Charlotte Mason homeschool mom of four children, plus my friend's two children. And I have been a devotee of Charlotte Mason for over a decade now. I have read her volumes over and over again. They have been life-changing for myself and for my family. It is definitely a resource that I have been sharing and recommending to all of my mama friends especially. Therefore, a resource I would like to see freely made available to every mother, to every family. I have been leading a Charlotte Mason Moms Book Club locally. Many of us are ESL for the past several years. And so for my book club, which is quite diverse, I have been reading them aloud and recording them for my Charlotte Mason moms. I realized that it would be wonderful to have these recordings made freely available to every family out there and to have it all located easily, conveniently in one place. And the idea of a podcast came to mind last year. So here it is. I am beginning with volume four ourselves because half of my moms have started reading that and they've been requesting for me to record it for them. As well, it is a book that was written for students and my students are reading ourselves as of this year. So it's great to, for them to be able to hear it read aloud while following along in their books. After ourselves, I'll make up my way to volume five and then volume six before I loop back around to volumes one, two, and three. I hope this is helpful to you as well, dear friend. Today, we are going to dive into part one, chapters one, two, and three. The House of Body, chapter one. The Esquires of the Body, Hunger. The Work of the Appetites. We will first consider the esquires of the body, not that they are the chief officers of state, but in man's soul, as in the world, a great deal depends upon the least important people, and the esquires of the body have it very much in their power to make all go right or all go wrong in man's soul. Their work is very necessary for the well-being of the state. They build up the body, and they see to it that there shall be no new mansouls to take the place of the old when these shall pass away." If each would attend to his own business and nothing else, all would go well. But there is a great deal of rivalry in the government, and every member tries to make the prime minister believe that the happiness of Mansoul depends upon him. If any one of these gets things altogether into his hands, all is in disorder. How Hunger Behaves Esquire hunger is the first of the appetites that comes to our notice. He is a most useful fellow. If he do not come down to breakfast in the morning, a poor meal is eaten and neither work nor play goes well in Mansell that day. If for weeks together hunger do not sit down to table, then fingers and hollow cheeks will show you what a good servant has left his post. He is easily slighted. If people say, I hate bread and milk or eggs or mutton or whatnot and think about it and think about it, hunger is disgusted and goes. But if they sit down to their meals without thinking about what they eat and think of something more interesting, hunger helps them through bit by bit until their plates are emptied and new material has been taken in to build up their bodies. Hunger is not at all fond of dainties. He likes things plain and nice. And directly a person begins to feed upon dainties like pastry, rich cake, too many sweets, hunger goes. Or rather, he changes his character and becomes gluttony. Hunger a servant, gluttony a ruler. It is as gluttony that he tries to get the ear of the prime minister, saying, Leave it all to me and I will make Mansell happy. 
he shall want nothing but what I can give him. Then begins a fine time. As long as hunger was his servant, Mansoul thought nothing about his meals till the time for them came, and then he ate them with a good appetite. But gluttony behaves differently. Gluttony leads his victim to the confectioner's windows and makes him think how nice this or that would taste. All his pocket money goes in tarts, sweets, and toffee. He thinks at breakfast what pudding he should like for dinner and asks for it as a favor. Indeed, he is always begging for bits of cake and spoonfuls of jam and extra chocolates. He does not think much about his lessons because he has a penny in his pocket and is considering what is the nicest thing he can buy for it. Or, if he is older, perhaps he has a pound, but his thought is still the same and gluttony gets it all. The greedy person turns away from wholesome meals and does not care for work or play because gluttony has got the ear of the prime minister, and almost every thought of Mansell turns one way. What shall I eat, he says. Gluttony begins with the little boy and goes with him all through life, only that instead of caring for chocolate creams when he is a man, he cares for dinners two hours long. How gluttony affects the body. But you will say, if hunger builds up the body, surely gluttony must do so a great deal faster. It is true that sometimes a greedy person becomes fat, but it is muscle and not fat which makes the body strong and useful. Gluttony does not make muscle and does cause horrid illnesses. How to avoid greediness. The way to keep this enemy out of Mansoul is to stick to the rules which hunger has lays down. The chief of them is, never think of your meals till they come. And while you are eating, talk and think of something more amusing than your food. As for nice things, of course we all want nice things now and then, but let us eat what is given to us of the chocolate or fruit at the table and not think any more of it. Sweets or fruits are seldom served at school, we know, and when at school it is quite fair for a boy to allow himself to spend a certain part of his pocket money in this way, not only for himself, but that he may have something to give away. But the boy who spends the whole or the greater part of his week's money on things to eat, or who is always begging for hampers from home, is a poor fellow, the victim of gluttony. The best plan is to want to spend your money upon something else, some sort of collection perhaps, or to save up to buy a present or a fishing rod or anything worth having. Gluttony lets you alone when you cease to think of him and his good things. Chapter 2. The Esquires of the Body, Thirst Thirst Likes Cold Water Another most serviceable esquire of the body is thirst. How serviceable he is, you will understand when you remember that by far the greater part of a man's weight is made up of water. This water is always wasting away in one way or another, and the business of thirst is to make up for the loss. Thirst is a simple fellow. The beverage he likes best is pure cold water. And indeed, he is quite right, for when you come to think of it, there is only one thing to drink in the world, though we drink it mixed with many things. Sometimes the mixing is done by nature as in milk or grapes, sometimes by man as in tea or coffee. Some of these mixed drinks are wholesome because they contain food as well as drink, and by far the most wholesome of these is milk. But Thirst himself does not care for or need anything in the water he drinks. He likes it best clear and cold. And if we lived in hot eastern countries, we should know how delicious cold water is. All little children like water, but bigger boys and girls sometimes like various things, such as lemon juice in their water to give it a flavor. Though there is no harm in this, it is rather a pity because they lose their taste for water itself. Drunkenness craves for alcohol. You would think that so simple and useful an esquire of the body could never be a source of danger to Mansell, but Thirst also gets the ear of the Prime Minister. He also says, Leave Mansell to me and he shall never more want anything in the world but what I can give him. 
This saying of his is quite true, only, instead of calling him thirst any longer, we must call him drunkenness. And once drunkenness has a man in his grip, that man wants nothing but drink, drink from morning till night. The chairs and tables out of his house, his children's bread, their mother's clothes, all go to buy drink. The man's time, health, and strength are spent in drink. He becomes homeless and friendless, sick and outcast for the sake of drink. But he does not crave for home or friends. All he wants is more drink and more drink. By far, the greater part of the sin, misery, and poverty in the world is caused by drunkenness. Why People Abstain As you know very well, it is not pure water that causes drunkenness. Men long ago discovered how to prepare a substance called alcohol, and this it is that ruins thousands of men and women. Many good men and women, and children too, make a solemn vow that they will never taste ale or wine or other strong drink unless a doctor ordered by way of medicine. They do this not only for fear that they should themselves become drunkards, though indeed there is no knowing who may fall into that terrible temptation, or at what period of life such a fall may come, but because every little good deed helps to stop the evil in the world by setting a good example to somebody, and perhaps there is never a good example set but someone follows it, though the person who set the example may never know. This is one reason why it is well to keep one's taste for cold water and to know how delicious it is. Chapter 3. Esquires of the Body, Restlessness and Rest Restlessness makes the body strong. I hardly know by what names to call the two esquires of the body whom I am now to introduce to you, but both are good body servants. Perhaps restlessness and rest will do as well as any. You have noticed that a baby is seldom quite still when he is wide awake. He is kicking his legs about or playing with his fingers or toes or crawling or clutching or throwing something down or picking it up or laughing or crowing or crying. Little boys and girls, too, cannot bear to sit still long at lessons. They want to run into the garden and see what their pet frog is doing. When lessons are over, a good romp is delightful, or a race or a good deal of tumbling about head over heels. Later, people want to play cricket or football or to ride bicycles or climb mountains. They think they do all these things just because it is fun. But really, good Esquire Restless will not let them alone, but gives them an uneasy feeling if they are not pretty, often doing something which is rather hard to do and rather tiring. He is playing the part of a faithful body servant. He is helping to make Mansoul a strong and wiry body, able to swim and ride and to jump and run, able to walk far and to hit true and to do every service that the Prime Minister may require. In fact, the business of restlessness is to strengthen and harden the muscles which hunger feeds. But restlessness may be a hard master. Restlessness, from being a good servant, might become a hard master. Indeed, he sometimes does become so, and people do things that are too hard for them in the way of rowing or climbing or running or jumping. Worse still, the demon of restlessness possesses them, and they cannot settle to any kind of work or play because they always want to be doing something else. This is a very unfortunate state to get into, because it is only by going on doing one thing steadily that we learn to do it well, whether it be cricket or algebra. So it is well to be on the watch for the moment when restlessness, the good servant, turns into restlessness, the unquiet demon who drives us about from post to pillar and will not give us firm standing ground anywhere in life. Rest, a good servant. In a general way, his fellow servant and brother, Rest, steps in with, It is my turn now. And the tired person is glad to sit down and be quiet for a little, or lie on his face with a book, or best of all, go to sleep soundly at night, and wake up refreshed and ready for anything. Thus the muscles take such turns of work and rest as help them to grow and become strong. Sloth, a tyrant. 
I dare say you are glad to hear of an esquire of the body who is now followed by a black shadow threatening Mansell with ruin. But alas, we cannot be let off. Rest, too, has his demon, whose name is Sloth. A little more sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, is the petition with which he besieges the Prime Minister. Once Sloth is ruler in Mansell, the person cannot wake up in the morning, dawdles over his dressing, comes down late for breakfast, hates a walk, can't bear games, dawdles over his preparation, does not want to make boats or whistles or collect stamps, drops in all his lessons, is in the third form when he ought to be in the sixth, saunters about the corners of the playing field with his hands in his pockets, never does anything for anybody, not because he is unkind or ill-natured, but because he will not take the trouble. Poor fellow, he does not know that he is falling daily more and more under the power of a hard master. The less he exerts himself, the less he is able to exert himself, because the muscles, which restlessness keeps firm and in good order, sloth relaxes and weakens until it becomes a labor to raise the hand to the head or to drag one foot after another. People used to be very much afraid of sloth and to call him one of the seven deadly sins, but somehow he is less thought about now, perhaps because we find so many things to do that we cannot bear to be slothful. Still, if your friends call you idle about play or work, or worse, indolent, or worse still, lazy, pull yourself together without loss of time, for be sure the demon sloth is upon you, and once you get into his clutches you are in as bad a case, and your life is as much in danger of being ruined as if gluttony or drunkenness had got hold of you. But take courage, the escape is easy. Restlessness is on the alert to save you from sloth in the beginning. Up and be doing, whether at work or play. If you've enjoyed this episode, I invite you to give a five-star rating so more people can find Charlotte Mason's volumes. Also, if you are interested in studying Charlotte Mason's volumes as well as growing in your own spiritual disciplines and life-giving habits, to form a gospel-centered home culture. I invite you to check us out at life-givingmotherhood.com. All moms all over the world are invited. Thank you. I'll see you next time.